Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast. My name is Andre and I am here again uh, with my wife Leah and we are back to talk about what it means to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture and all that that includes. And sometimes that includes topics that are more interesting than others. Today is one that we've been pretty excited to talk to you guys about, although as many of you guys probably have seen, we were a little delayed this past week to get this episode out because things in the home are unpredictable. But here we are to talk about fiction. Why is it important for Christians, for us as followers of Christ, uh, to talk about stories, and particularly stories that never happened, stories that are not true? Um, so my first question to you, babe, today is, did you, were you always a bookish story person, or did you become one at some point in life? I have or does always, it go way back? Yeah, I don't know why. I really can't put my finger on why I started reading books and loving them. But I I think as far as like fourth grade, I was always into books and the librarians knew me in school and I I just really loved I enjoyed diving into a story. Do you, and do you remember your it. first chapter book? No, As we called it, them in elementary school. I think it, my interest was started probably with read aloud in class. The teachers mm, would just start, yep. you know, Magic oh, Tree yeah. House and Laura Ingalls Wilder. Children and yeah, Laura Our Ingalls second Wilder. grade teacher, Mrs. DeBear, read us the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And that was like transforming. I actually remember this book called The Last of the... The last of the really great wing doodles. Wow. And it that was, was your first book? I know, but it was one that I really remember. It was an adventure story, and I think it was second or third grade. Huh. I got to read it to our kids. I, I still remember actually, what I it was about. I remember my very first chapter book. That I was you read? very proud that I checked out of the library. Okay. It was a morning trip to the library with our class in second grade. Wow. And by the way, in our school... Bright Elementary School, Sacramento, California, West Sacramento. Shout out to some of the people, <laughs> my hood. Um, it I'll is... cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> this book was called Hercules Doesn't Pull Teeth, and it was about the Bailey School kids. Basically, they solve mysteries and like basically would meet a person that they thought was some sort of mythical creature like Hercules or werewolves or witches. But they thought they were, but then they turned out not to be. Mm -hmm. So I was very proud that I was reading a chapter book, and that kind of set me off on a Bailey School Kids thing. And that that was my first series. And then I got into the Magic Treehouse and all this stuff. And there was a moment which I lament and I'm, I'm very sad about, that I had a Christian friend who in, I think, second or third grade, pointed out to me the Chronicles of Narnia Mm -hmm. in the library. He showed me Prince Caspian. And because I was a boy who grew up with assumptions that stories with magic in them are bad and evil somehow, I did not get into the Chronicles of Narnia in second or third grade, but had to wait another... 15 years. So you were an adult before you before got into Before I them. can go to Narnia. That's really funny because... And it's sad. I also was told by the librarian, I was in the library like 
all the time, and I would get recommendations from the librarian because she knew I loved books, and I would just devour them almost daily. And she said, oh, I think you're going to really like this Chronicles of Narnia. And, and I checked it out, and I read the first few pages, and I just couldn't get into it, and I, I just never read it. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, but that's, see, that I think that goes into taste, too. Like, yeah, you were just I wasn't a kid into who, those kind like, of stories. The different people have different tastes. It's like, well, Narnia could be cool because it's by C.S. Lewis, and there's, like, Christian truths in it, but if it's not, if, if, if you don't enjoy it, then you don't enjoy it. It's okay. It's, yeah. not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. I don't yeah. know. Um, but, yeah. All throughout elementary, middle, high school, no, not high school, there was a time when I stopped reading in high school, Mm -hmm. but I always read books and always enjoyed books that were a little bit longer than the books that my friends were reading. Mostly stories, all all stories. Um, Yeah. I really enjoyed all sorts of, I got into different seasons of I had a whole season I was into this series of books called the The Babysitter Club series and it was just like a you know club of teenage girls who you know babysat all the neighborhood kids and all the adventures they faced and then I was into like mystery for a while and I read all these like spooky mystery books you went through more genres than I did I went through all I had phases where I just devoured or if I really liked one author I would read every single book by that author that's That's a good principle yeah and I just really enjoyed a lot of um like, Did you do the Gary Paulson thing? No, I didn't. That was you didn't do boy-ish. Hatchet. No, I felt wow. like it was a boy book, and I didn't really. I hatchet never got was, into oh, it. Hatchet, Brian's Winter, Brian's Return, those yeah. were amazing. Yeah, but the biggest like I I remember there was I think it was almost middle school, probably middle school where I was really into. There was a series I I still can't find it. I don't know what it's called, but it's um they were like different royal people of all the different cultures and it was like girls who were in royal families like um anastasia romanov and that whole conspiracy romanov um and then there was like cleopatra just their life and it was written in a a story in a novel Mm, and it was very big books and gave you kind of a picture of what it was like in their life and what they experienced and i was so fascinated by that i remember just reading all the you know all the cultures and the chinese royalty and all the and I really enjoyed, you know, getting a picture, a glimpse into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, there was this phase. So, like, as just a kid growing up, I read, I, I loved stories. And I even got into Harry Potter in third grade. Mm-hmm. And then the church told me it was the devil. So <laughs> I needed to stop. And I did. Yeah. Um, which I think that was fine. I don't think I really missed out a ton because it was, it was a little deep for me as a third grader yeah like third grader you know it's fourth grade it's kind of and i kind of lost interest too i think yeah but there was a phase where i stopped reading books uh stopped reading stories and i had like you know my spiritual transformation in high school where i repented and i my life changed i you know became really a christian and a long phase there of a, a few years where I didn't read stories at all because I was into theology and right. I was into truth and uh, fiction didn't fit into that category because that's just... A waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's fairy tales. Yeah. So I then rediscovered fiction as a Christian, as a Christian young adult or youth um, through Tolkien, I think. Yeah. Um, the Hobbit. 
I I remember it was so funny because I was like, well, okay, so it's like a classic. So I need to get a taste of what this guy, Tolkien guy, is all about. And I'm never going to read The Lord of the Rings. Way too long, way too much time. I'm not going to, I don't have that kind of time. But, you know, The Hobbit, I'll give it a try. Bought The Hobbit, sat down, and it was funny because at that time I was working evening shifts at the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I would work 3 to 11. I get off at 11.30 p.m., go to the, go to the gym, go to Anytime Fitness at midnight. Nobody's there, pretty nice. Do my workout thing, drive home, be home by like 1 o'clock, sit and read for an hour or so and go to sleep. That was my like wow. single guy routine. Yeah. And um, that is when I discovered Tolkien. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of rich, beautiful truth in here that connects to a lot of what I believe. Yeah. And that caused me to rediscover. I think also C.S. Lewis... I, I read his Christian stuff. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, dang, he has like Narnia and all this stuff. So I need to go back to that. Yeah. So that's, that's the rediscovery journey for me. Was there ever a period or a rediscovery Definitely, of fiction? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the same thing where we all, you know, became Christians and we got saved and we, you know, I was a big reader. So I felt this conviction that I needed to spend my time reading theology and Christian books that informed me how to live the Christian life rather than stories that were kind of a waste of time in my mind. And so I, even though I always had a tug for novels and reading good, good stories, I kind of put that away and I said, that's not a good use of my time. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of, which at the time as a new Christian, I'm thankful that I, that I spent so much of my energy reading good Christian truth and I filled my head with a lot. It equipped me to live the Christian life. It filled me with truth that I needed to know. Right. For like probably four or five years, I just just stuck to reading mm-hmm. um, Christian living books. Mm-hmm. But I think here. only after marriage, when I we got it, you know, you got into Tolkien. Tolkien. The mm-hmm. first few years of our marriage, you were reading through the the um, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings series. And we kind of discovered piece by piece the importance of fiction, and we went to some seminars about it, and we we're like, wow. went to Wordsmithy from uh, New St Andrews College, yeah. and then our friend big, Sean big Higgins did a thing called Fiction Festivals, and they still do those from uh, what's their Eva- Evangel Evangel Classical Evangel, School yeah. in Marysville. Uh, if you go on their website, they have talks from their Ragant Fiction Festivals. And those are amazing yeah. talks that will give you, we'll, we'll put up a link, yeah. um, expand your perspective on literature, fiction, and Christianity. Yeah. And I feel like piece by piece, it was like, wait, no, it's not just read all these Christian books. You actually need rich, good quality stories. You need to fill your head with those. That's just as important. And I think that's when I got back into um, kind of getting back into like the classics and um, Jane Austen and kind of going back to the to the things that I didn't get to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So thinking about this transformation and maybe sharing it with people around us, right? Um, because a lot of Christians still don't really see a big value in fiction. Yeah. Right. So our goal today is to kind of um, kind of ask those questions and talk about why this is important for everybody, not well, just for us also bookish we, people. We get a lot of questions like you're super into Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and stories and you you kind of from the pulpit you talk a lot about it you bring a ton of examples and analogies and you often get the question like isn't Tolkien kind of aren't his stories full of 
darkness and demons and magic and how could that possibly be good for our children to be reading aren't you afraid of coming in contact with that darkness that you know is filling these books and it just makes us uncomfortable and you get that question quite a bit right so right so why is it in why is it important why is it important for christians not only adult christians but as as parents who are raising children to encourage them to read good quality stories not just christian books about theology but stories novels fiction why is it so important and why must we encourage our young people and we ourselves why should we be reading right so answering that question i want to dive into the deep end of the pool first and kind of talk about it from a theological philosophical perspective kind of stretch your brains a little bit and then go down to more of a practical perspective basically i think i discovered um I discovered the power of, of literature and fiction as I thought about theology. So yeah. as I thought about the world and God's word and, and truth, and at first in my, in my head, truth uh, is, is, has nothing to do with fiction and imagination, right? Truth is truth. It's black and white, right? But then when you look at the Bible, you realize that um, we as, as human, to be human is to be a creature of narrative, Every single one of us perceives ourselves as living some sort of story. Like when you think about your life, in your brain, you categorize it not like a computer with topical categories. Your life, you you kind of have, even if you don't realize it, some sort of mental story of your life and you're yeah. living in it. Yeah. That's what gives you meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we think about um, what fiction does to us, good fiction, good stories... So life in the real world is a story. The Christian message is not just a message of facts. It's a story. The whole right. Bible is a story. You cannot understand the Bible without understanding the story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There's a storyline. There's a beginning. There's an end. There's a, there's there's a, a middle. A, there's a tension. Yep. There's, so it, the fiction setup of the problem and the resolution that's not just something that writers invented. That is built into the human being. You cannot be human without story. Yeah. And so good fiction, uh, what it does is it's t- it's, it feeds your soul and your mind with the right kind of ingredients to be able to understand and to be able to pick up on real goodness, beauty, and truth around you in the world. So it it, it basically, it's like, the way Tolkien kind of described it is the good good writings they make the the if your heart is is like a dirt it's like soil and a lot of things grow in it right good stories they make the soil of your heart rich with good nutrients for you or or the other analogy is good stories teach your the the ear of your heart to pick up on the tunes of of the beauty of the universe yeah and the truth of the universe and your ability to live in the world and to make sense of meaning of it, you know? So the thing, uh, back in 2015, one of the most transforming moments for me in this whole topic, me and a good friend of mine went to a little writer's workshop, which just, just not, not that I'm a writer, but like I love to write and an aspiring person who wants to get better at writing. But um, there was a guy there who was a scholar, a C.S. Lewis scholar, and uh, he talked about C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis's perspective on imagination, 
And that's a huge, that was a massive connecting moment for me. Because basically what C.S. Lewis points out, he just kind of observes, you know, when we, when we talk about, um, when we talk about, you know, truth, we have, we have truth and falsehood, right? Those are two big categories, yeah. what's false and what's true. But there's also um, meaning and nonsense. Right. So as, as, as human beings, we are always striving for two things, not just one. We're not just striving for truth against falsehood. We're also striving for meaning. Mm-hmm. We need our lives to be meaningful because life is hard. The world is both beautiful and broken. And somehow we need to pull meaning together from all that we see. And, and it needs to make sense to us. Why do we go on? Why do mm-hmm. we keep fighting? Why do we keep living, right? So um, we live in a world that needs to be made sense of. We are by nature creatures of meaning. We're always interacting with the world and we're trying to make sense of it. So what he says, imagination is so important for your heart. Imagination is the organ of meaning. Imagination is, your imagination is taking, interacting with the whole world of everything you see, and it's pulling pieces together and making it help make sense to you. And then imagination communicates with reason, the thinking part of you, the logical, Mm -hmm. truth, false part of you, and it communicates that and helps you filter and make sense of the world. So, you know, you can look at the world and say the world is, you know, so magical and good and and, and important and that means that we should save the planet or whatever, right? But right. then the logical truth side of you might say, okay, that's true that the world is meaningful and true, but but there's bigger priorities than saving the planet, although maybe that's an important priority. So there, there's, there's always a tug between yeah. meaning and truth and mm-hmm. they work together. Mm-hmm. So good stories... Good fiction, it, it, it teaches, it equips, it magnifies your imagination. And if you have a low imagination, you may, you may be like, you know, and this is a lot of Christians today, I think, Christians with zero imagination. Mm-hmm. Actually, Paul Tripp, one of my famous, one of my favorite um, quotes from him, he says, what people need today is imagination. They need to see how the reality, the truth of the gospel has powerful potential to transform the world mm-hmm. and how the gospel is working in the world. But for that, you need imagination. You need to look and you could, you need to look at the world as it is and see as it could be. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So imagination enriches your soul and gives you the ability to see beautiful things, to live for them, to live for the truth, and to have a greater sense of meaning. If you don't, and, and that's what good fiction does. Right. Good fiction teaches you, it, it enriches, it, it makes that, that part of your heart f- fat and rich right. and strong, you know? It just widens your mind and your horizons to see the world and to con- make more connections, make more things. You just start to see more things and notice more things and appreciate the beauty in moments in the in the nature and in everyday life in the mundane and i think that as christians we're called to do that but it's hard when all you're getting is just these solid solid truths and the bible is so full of story the bible itself is like jesus preaches it and he he gives the disciples stories little mini parables to Uh help them understand a truth that if he just said it the way it is would be hard for them to digest but Mm -hmm. he's giving it to them in a little mini story it's our human nature that's what god created us to 
connect with things when they're they're spoken in in a, in a story or like you know back in the day before there was even books like generations passed things down to their kids through story they would repeat them and that's how they got the knowledge of their ancestors or their history and I think even growing up you you kind of have a, a head full of these stories of David and Goliath and Noah and the ark and and it's right it and these expands, are stories of faith on display and it expands your mind and, and their stories and they're actually it's a they're historic real facts that happened but they're also stories and they're magical and they're amazing and I think that there's no other way, even growing up, like you can't, like I couldn't have ever went to old Egypt or, you know, back in Russia when there was SARS and everything mm-hmm. and royalty. Like you can't go, you don't have a travel machine, you don't have the funds or whatever tra- time machine to go and do all the things. But when you read, you get to experience, you get to walk in people's shoes, you get to live their stories. And what that does to child to you in, in childhood and in adulthood is gives you these experiences that you could have never had in your own little life. Right. It just expands you. It expands your mind and you start to appreciate and, and all the things that you never would have and it just enriches your life. Right, right. Because, and I think one of the problems of our current Christianity today is that it's like one, like James K.A. Smith says, it's brain on a stick Christianity. It's yeah. it's Christianity that basically, and it's and maybe this is drawing on therapeutic culture where therapy says, you know, give me my little techniques and uh, for me to feel better, or give me the pills that I need to make me feel better, and I'll move on. Like, yeah. um, we're just concerned with truth as a category, in a sense, and even that we're losing truth. But we're, when we come to the Bible and we come to Christianity, we want this therapeutic kind of medical view of truth like okay what is the truth that i need to like live my life so i can go back and yeah what's a formula we think truth is a formula but in god's world if you look truth and beauty are inseparable and what does that tell you it tells you that yes there is such thing as truth and falsehood as two categories right but what we don't realize is truth happens in the world in a thousand different ways god is creative with truth you know what i'm saying so like the way god creates nature you know, he could have just made us like robots, like functioning human, like there's no, you know, but there's a thousand different ways that he creates for us to live as human beings. And his truth is realized in a thousand different ways. I think reading fiction has helped me read my Bible better and see the beauty of how it's written. Right. And see the wonder and the glory of God's story. And to then look around me and see that story playing out, you know, when it, it helps you make connections. Like I remember, discovering my Bible as a new believer and these truths of like dying to self and, and self-control and um, commitment. And I was like, that that trait that's being described reminds me of reading a story where a girl would, you know, go and do something selfless. Or like, I remember it, it, I would connect these truths that are written in the Bible that Christians ought to be like. And I would remember somewhere in the back of my head, a story that I, I read that reminded me of this character who did that and that kind of struck me and right. it just made me pull from my memories of the stories that filled my head. Right. Well, and here that actually connects to something really important, right? Because when we, when we think about um, spiritual change, right? Like we want to grow spiritually. We don't want to struggle with our problems and we want to be better. Right. But how does that happen? 
again, brain on a stick Christianity will say, oh, it happens when you discover the truth and discover the falsehood that you're holding on to and replace that falsehood with truth. Like it's like this like mechanical process. Mm-hmm. But um, the reality is the Bible also talks about the fact that change happens when our desires are transformed. Mm-hmm. So not only when you discover what is true, but you learn to love it. When right. the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, he teaches you to love the gospel, love the truth. Yeah. That's why Christians struggle with like, well, I know this truth. I know it in my head, but I'm not like living it out. Well, the problem there is that you, your heart is not being taught to love the truth, you know, and you're never going to live. You're only going to live out your loves. Right. And what good fiction does, good fiction is beautiful because it's drawing on the right kinds of loves. Yeah. And it it's it's like underground wiring to your soul. It's you don't see it on the surface, mm-hmm. you know, but if you read good authors who are informed by good, beautiful and true things, they teach your soul to love the right stuff yeah. and to hold on to the truth even when everything around you is pushing in the other direction because right. they see that the truth is beautiful and I must cherish it. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, like, for example, good authors will focus on truths like loyalty and courage and mm-hmm. commitment and self-denial and family. And it will, it will teach your heart to, it will just m- make that your affection. It will make your heart loyal to these solid truths that are in the Bible, but they're, they're shown on display in these stories. And I think, right. and then your heart starts to be like, that is good. That is true. And it's full of all these stories that you can think back on and, and see examples of. Right. And, and then you start to be like, I hate, I hate seeing. And then when you, when you grow up and you become, you start watching movies and someone tells a story and you instantly, it's your gut response when you're just like, I hate that. I hate what they're saying here. I, I, I reject this idea because your your soul is fat with the good goodness and you can you can pick out the lie in, in a story that's being shown on, in a movie and you can say no i i hate that that's that's falsehood and they're it's trying ugly. to make it beautiful and it's ugly because you're full of the beauty and you can the good recognize kind of taste it. if you don't have a refined taste in good fiction you can you can consume all sorts of trash and think, well, that was funny or that was a pretty good story. That was entertaining rather than dissect it and think, no, they're saying something horrible here. Right. So actually that, that what you're just saying brings it to the question I was about to ask. We're talking about like, oh, it's so good to read fiction and good to read stories, but is it possible to, for it to be bad? Is it possible for it to have a danger? Cause you know, a lot of the stuff that we're, we rate, we were raised in a, in an atmosphere that was very, uh, at least, that was very skeptical of all content coming from th- the world, quote unquote, right, yeah. or like anything that's not basic Bible interpretation. It yeah. was was worldly and and therefore suspect. Right? Um, is there danger? Yeah, I think of course there is danger, and I think there's a lot of bad. There, there's a lot of authors who love darkness and they want to beautify that darkness they want to make sin seem beautiful and lovely and they're they're going to write horrible stories that are gonna you know make they're gonna teach you to love the right stuff well love the the wrong wrong stuff stuff. they're gonna make the villain the the hero or look at look at the villain choosing himself how brave you know yeah and um those stories need to be like i think as parents we need to teach our children 
have them learn have them learn to be loyal to the truths of the Bible so that they can recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I think watching what they read because like I've read things that was bad and I was just like that was a stupid story. You yeah. know that was not a good good use of my time. And I there's a lot a lot of things that are just bad books mm-hmm. that you shouldn't you should never read and your children should never read. Um, what what are the features of bad stories? Yeah, I think kind of like I mentioned before, um, when evil is made to look beautiful or when you can't tell what's good and what's bad. Right. That's the thing with uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and all the, there's the a Christians. Clear there's a clear line. line like Darkness this is and good light. versus evil. Mm-hmm. And in stories where it's clear and they, there's a hero and then there's a villain, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like this is the bad guy, this is the good guy, but there's a clear struggle between what is right and what is true and beautiful and mm-hmm. the darkness. And I think there's been, I've read books where it's like unclear or at the end they, they end the book with just a horrible way of like n- not resolving or letting the, the person, the main character just not, you know, live out truth or just not decide right to be selfish and they mm-hmm. applaud that or, you know, um, that's what I heard. That's what I heard thing. about, um, Harry Potter. Right, yeah. That there are times when um, truth is murky or Harry gets away with uh, doing things that are not super correct, but but he did, he they are shown to be correct because he did them for the sake of a higher good, but like he right. would lie or cheat or yeah. steal for the sake of a higher good. So like there's a blurring of goodness and righteousness versus evil and again i'm not so big disclaimer i'm not saying that christians should not read harry potter i don't i can't say that because i haven't read the whole thing yeah and there's and there's there's good christians that say it is really amazing stories so i think that's up to your conscience well Um, and you can read and discuss and 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 have debates with other people and just discuss what is wrong and right about the character and the storyline. I think that's healthy and that's good to read stories. There's a lot of quality stories where you can profoundly disagree with the author's conclusion. Like we went to that talk about like 19, what is it? 19, that book called 1984. 1984 or George Orwell. George Orwell. And and just at the end is just like, no, I I disagree with what he's saying here, but it's a very well-written book and Christians should read it. It's a very well-told story. And interact with it. And interact with it and disagree with it and point out the lies. And that's healthy and we should do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of my um, favorite kind of biographical moments is there's this book called The Fellowship. And it's basically a biography of C.S. Lewis and his friends and how they grew up as writers. And the authors, the authors are not Christians. It's interesting. But the authors are basically saying that it was very clear that for C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and his friends, their intention was to take the world back through story. So -hmm. they saw the world around them declining away from Christianity and Christian truth and into anti-Christian and destructive thought patterns, philosophies, and tendencies. They were worried about the world around them. And there they wanted to help to do good. And their method was to write stories that captivate people in the right kind of love. Yeah. So that's that's the genius of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. They are just stories for kids on the surface. Oh, just yeah. kid stories, fantasy kid stories. But what he was trying to do was he was writing for a generation of children who were being taught atheism, mm-hmm. straight up atheism. And he was trying to go underground, sort of, and undermine atheism through story. 
Mm-hmm. And by teaching the kids to love the better things, and there's a moment actually in the the silver chair where um, the white witch who is um, who is disguised in that story as somebody else, um, she casts a spell on the characters there, and she's saying, you know, um, you know, she's all trying to cast a spell and basically tell them Aslan, Narnia, all that stuff that you're fighting for it's all a dream it's all a, it's not it's not real it's all an illusion it's all a mirage mm-hmm. the only thing that's true is right here in this room with me and the character one of the characters in there who was a um who was really like a critical cynical kind of guy mm-hmm. um what was his name i keep forgetting someone's going to shout it out when they're listening <laughs> his name um but basically he he breaks through the spell and says, no, even if Aslan is not real, I'm going to live as if he is right. because that story is infinitely better than the one that you're telling us, evil yeah. queen. Yeah. And so he, he was basically saying, even if you're telling me that that stuff isn't real, I'm going to live for that reality more than the fault, the ugly reality that you're telling me. Right. Um, and there he's like, he's making a philosophical argument. He's te- teaching the kids to desire a bigger truth than right. what they're told. So it's like profound. What they're trying to do is they're trying to fertilize the souls of the kids that read those books to be more receptive to the gospel. You right, know? right. And, and kids like, need heroes. Kids need yeah. um, the characters to aspire to. So when you give them heroes that are charging into darkness and they're being courageous and they're being brave when it's scary to be brave when they're being um, obedient and honorable in their actions and not going against their parents and rebelling against authority. When you give them those kind of heroes, then they aspire to be like them rather than what the world is teaching kids these days is you choose your own path. You follow your own heart. You make your own rules and don't let anyone stop you. Like that's the lies that they want to teach. And I think that's why you need to give your kids, hand them good books and have them read because mm-hmm. that will inspire them to want to live out biblical truths that when they read the Bible, they're, they're going to say, oh, the Bible is descri- describing that like my hero from that one book. And I want right. to be that way right. rather than just a Bible verse that says like, obey your parents. When they have a story connected to yeah. that and a hero, then it's going to become more real and alive in their mind. Okay. And I guess a lot of people wonder like, specifically like okay sure read good books about like pioneer days and you know because it's educational and historic but what about like fantasy like all the 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 demons and the orcs and the witches isn't that doesn't the bible teach to stay away from dark spirits and not to come in contact with that and like exposing your children to that isn't that kind of going against what the bible teaches yeah i think christians very quickly were were easily uh suspicious of specifically fantasy fiction. And I think I was too for a long time. My short answer is this. I think that, um, first of all, there's a difference of tastes. So if you don't have a taste for that kind of stuff, um, you don't need to think that there's something wrong with you. I think I mostly don't. I'm not the type of person to like really be But then again, have you read a lot of it? Actually, like, I have you read much fairy tales? I did. There was a time I was really into them. Yeah. It's a specific kind of genre that I... Yeah. So why, but here's the bigger reason. I think that fantasy fiction is, and why it's like C.S. Lewis's main type of fiction was fantasy fiction. Tolkien was obviously the creator of Middle Earth. Why is this so important as a genre? It expands the possibilities, I think, of, of, our, of our mind and our perspective on the universe. It gives us a, a deeper sense of mystery of the universe. Because yeah. I think as Christians, we don't have a danger of 
being too mystical and magical in our perspective. As Christians living today, we have a danger of being way too flat and mechanical and scientific. Like we we love to read the epistles of Paul because they're just so they're just so true like basic fact oriented, right? Mm-hmm. But zoom out and look at the big picture of the Bible. Look read read Ezekiel, read Daniel, yeah. read yeah. Revelation. The Bible gives you a perspective on reality that says this world is so much bigger than you even realize. Demons and monsters and angels and dragons. Dragons with five heads and... Like, it's all in the Bible. And and so what I'm trying... And again, it's not like, oh, all dragons are real and like we need to like obsess about demons and witches now. No, no, no. But I think fantasy fiction gives... It, it, it helps pull out the curtains a little bit and helps us as scientifically wired Western folks to realize that the universe is so much bigger and more mystical it, yeah. it, and magical than, than we like to make it, you know? Of course, I walk through... There is a spiritual world. It exists. Right, right. So, like, you know, you, you read Tolkien and, like, he talks about the elves, like, in the forest and their magic spells and songs. It's like, yeah. I, I walk past our forest in the back and I don't, you know... I You cannot I don't, see I don't it. think that there's real elves running around. Right. That's not the point. You know, right. the, the, the people who the, the people who you see in downtown who are walking around with swords and big hoods and running around, um, you know, th- they have missed the point of Tolkien. Yeah. The hyper fans and worshipers of Tolkien are, they've missed the point. The point is not to go and dress up as an elf and run around downtown like a freak. The point, <laughs> the point is to look at the world that is and realize that it is enchanted. It's full of magic, yeah. Like, that forest back there is God's handiwork. Yeah. It, is his, it is his work. You know, Genesis chapter 1, it says that the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a presence of God that is very Personal. real. It declares his glory, and it's not just something he created mechanically. God is an artist, and... And his work, his artwork, is is a reflection. It's, it's, it bears his fingerprint. It yeah. bears his echo, you know. And you look at that stuff, and it should take your breath away because God is painting a, a painting for you. He's writing a poem for you every day. And it should enchant you. It should captivate yeah. you and make you look yeah. longer, make you stare longer and imagine and see the magic in it rather than, like, see a forest and think that's lovely and just walk past it. No, like, right. stand and look at it. Listen to the whistling wind and just be like, Wow. But also, and realize that spirits are real. Demons are real. Like, all that stuff is real. And they are present among, in our world, in more ways than we... And and even me saying that probably sounds crazy to people. And I'm like... And it's like, we're Christians here, but but why do we have such a hard time believing in a spiritual world? Yeah. You know? So that's my short answer in fantasy fiction. I think it just... it, 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 It unwraps the borders. It helps the author to give you truth... It gives him more creative freedom to paint pictures of truth, um, you know, than just conventional everyday life. It, right. it, uh, it, it unlocks the boundaries of what the author can do to help in creative ways tell the story. You well, know? And there is bad fantasy fiction. There is bad. Yeah, they, for sure. The good stuff is when they make the, the bad demons bad. And right. the, the fight is clear and the struggle is clear against the light and the darkness. And the darkness is full of the bad evil spirits. Right. And it's clear because there's a lot of books out there, a ton, where it's like 
vampires and dead people and spirits and ghosts. Right, like, and they're like, like oh, zombie they're fiction, like teen, obsession with teen zombie vampire crap. And like, that's, that's not like, good. And they're beautifying death and they're beautiful. Yeah. They're celebrating darkness. And you have to recognize that. And that's not like, don't give your kids a bunch of books with, you know, that negative stuff. But um, yeah, there's definitely a bad side and you have to be very careful. But it's not, it's not all thrown out because there's magic or there's yep. some you know, some story with a witch and, and a dragon. Don't throw it all out because there could be really good stuff in there. So as we're wrapping up, let's throw out some recommendations. Speaking of good books that Christians should think of, um, let's throw out just a list of things that come to mind as Christians that are good things to have on your shelf. Do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? You should start. Okay. So you should have the Chronicles of Narnia. You should have Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and his Hobbit. Um, I think those are fun. Again, that's fantasy fiction. Not everyone's going to be into it. I'm cool with that, whatever. Um, But also I would say, um, and I actually, I rate myself as a, um, as a uh, beginner in fiction. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't, I haven't read enough, nearly enough. I I know it's beautiful and valuable and, and the right kind of stories have shaped me, but I am not an expert in fiction. I want to become one. Yeah. So, uh, the authors that are on my, you know, shelf that I'm ho- dying to get into are um, just two, two to start with is Andy Wilson. Yeah. Um, he has amazing he's series of, of books. writer. Modern, and they're kind of fantasy. They are fantasy, but, yeah. And he's a Christian. He's writing in this same tradition right behind C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and all the other guys. Um, so N.D. Wilson. He has a like hundred cupboards uh, series, a lot of different cool series. Another one is Andrew Peterson. He's just a really amazing guy. He's a singer. He, he's written hymns, and he's got some amazing children's fiction. Um, that's, that's some fiction that I'm hoping to get into. Yeah, and maybe not necessarily like fantasy, but like all the classics, like Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain stuff. Like um, what else? I'm just blanking. Like Jane Austen and like Little Women and all the all the the books that have been – characterized you know i feel like we need to do like a whole episode on why classics are important but that's you know there's been generations and generations of people who uphold these books because of the quality of the stories written in them like read them you know um get well acquainted with these stories because there's something in them that through the generations have the the truths in there have been true you know every time and i think it's a good start if you don't know where to go or what, where to start. Like, go to the classics. There's so many of them on all different levels, like Robinson Crusoe and Robin Hood and all mm-hmm. these, like, fun, adventurous stories that maybe are not necessarily fantasy, but they ignite the imagination of young people and even yours. Like, um, I remember reading um, Robinson Crusoe, and I just couldn't put it down. It was just one man surviving on an island alone. Yeah. And it it was amazing. Well, and they, how he, like, they're found powerful portrayals of human nature. It's and, just... And- it was amazing just to read his story and be captivated by it. But um, Yeah, on a finishing note, start, yeah. Jesus himself thought that stories were important, not true stories. So, you know, he some of the most powerful the moments of Jesus' preaching are parables. And, you know, the parable of the prodigal son, you know, that's, that's one that is studied by lit- literature experts, you know, for centuries and centuries. Another last one that we got to tack on there is The Pilgrim's Progress by yeah. John Bunyan. Yeah. And again, that's another one that that man was a pastor. Yeah. And he wrote this story as a reflection of the Christian journey, which is exactly what we talk about here in the podcast, the process of following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Like my whole vision of that comes from, I think, The Pilgrim's Progress. 
Yeah. And uh, Spurgeon said, Spurgeon reread that book like over 800 times in his life. Wow, that's a lot. It, like he just reread it over and over and over. And um, non-Christians praise the literary quality of Pilgrim's Progress. But when you read Pilgrim's Progress, you see it's just dripping with scripture, scripture illusions. But again, it's a, t- it's a work of fantasy fiction. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening again. Um, and we would love to hear what you think. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, please let us know through Facebook, through Instagram. We're all present there. If this was beneficial, please go on iTunes and give us a review. This helps people find the show. And uh, send this episode to a friend who loves fiction or who, for, to a friend who needs to love fiction more, maybe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.